All right, so it is recording. We're officially on wax. Welcome to another episode of the Groundings Podcast, everyone. I am today your co-host, Devin Springer, and joining me is the lovely Dr. Sharice Burden-Stelly, and we're going to be talking today with a musician, performer, activist, book club leader and participant, and many, many more things. Um, But before I continue, I'm going to let Sharice go ahead and introduce herself. Hey y'all, it's me, Dr. Sharice Burden-Stelly, Dr. CBS, for those of you who follow me on Twitter. Thank you so much, Dev, um, for having me on again. It's always a pleasure to be here to chop it up with you, the phenom, the prodigy, the extraordinaire. So I'm just happy to be in conversation with um, our wonderful, influential, and really inspiring guest today. And I guess, you know, we can just say the guest today is no name. Uh, <laughs> people will already hey. see the, the cover art for the episode and they'll know who it is but I'm going to go ahead and just really let No Name introduce herself before we continue so No Name oh wow well thank you thank you guys both for that introduction I'm No Name I also go by Fatima which is my my birth name yeah I'm just a, a concerned citizen and yeah just a Twitter user up to not much rapping a little political commentary here or there. That's that's me. <laughs> I don't really consider myself an activist, so I, you know, I'm more so just. I just I think I'm concerned, uh, concerned. Then yeah, I I appreciate that that distinction. Thanks for clarifying me on that. I have a lot of hip hop related questions and like sort of musical questions that I'm gonna hold on to and save for another time. Um, (laughs) so we can just kind of get into it today and Sharice if you want to go ahead and um, jump right in sure so no name what you just said in terms of not being an activist um, really resonates with me I always preface you know when I talk about myself that I'm not an activist or organizer and so I, I like that you know you're a concerned citizen and engaged citizen so that being said you are also high profile. So the first question I guess I want to ask is like, what does it mean to be an, uh, an anti-capitalist in these times and, you know, on full display? Um, You know, that I think that's something I'm always trying to figure out myself. Like what, how can I be anti-capitalist in real time in practice outside of just, you know, my political ideas about capitalism in the world and you know my my placement in it as like a a black person because you can't really you can't fully detach from it so you know I think I'm I'm anti-capitalist in like my thinking but I do struggle with you know not knowing if I if I can truly exist in that way while underneath this this current you know economic system I guess the best thing I can do is try to use my platform to talk about and promote anti-capitalist ideas because I can't like, you know, I'm talking to you guys over my MacBook. I got my my phone in my hand doing other shit. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm definitely a part of capitalism, unfortunately. 
but yeah, I think I think challenging my relationship also with the industry that I'm in has has sort of helped me continue to push and and you know be accountable to like my community in the in the best way that I can. Like right now, it's just like I feel like ideology. As far as my ideology, it's not really something that I'm doing. So I don't know. I kind of feel like a, a slight fraud <laughs> if I'm being honest. But but yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And so just to follow up with that, part of what I talk about, so for those of you who don't know, um, I'm an academic, <laughs> a theorist at that. So the worst kind of academic. But um, I talk about ethics, epistemology, and politics. And so what you're describing is that you're trying to embody an anti-capitalist ethic, even as we're all inscribed in the system. And so what, is, what does that mean to you other than, so sharing, like what are the types of things that you're interested in getting out on your platform? And what are the sort of ways in which you try to challenge, you know, or embody those anti-capitalist ethics in everyday life? Well, I think I think some of the most detrimental elements of capitalism are reflected, like not just in, you know, how workers here in America are treated, but also our imperialist practices in other nations around the world. Um, And just thinking about like where, you know, if we're thinking about capitalism and knowing that there has to be a you know a mode of production and then you have to have these natural resources to even have the like the things to produce where are these you know these resources coming from and so for me it, it's helpful to just draw the line back to what seems to be the source which is like neocolonialism and imperialism so i try to talk about that as much as possible and like i try to just hold myself at, as accountable as i can being you know being an American and knowing that I contribute to these systems, I think just at least speaking on it is a start. Most of the people who um, are in my industry and tend to benefit the most from capitalism refuse to even talk about U.S. militarism or anything pertaining to like the global South and how we impact how people are treated and the violence that exists around the world. You know, so I talk. About, I, I'm like trying to learn more about. U.S. militarism and and just like where the money's coming from and and why and that sort of thing. That's dope. And would you say that because part of it is you're in an industry that sort of necessitates having a large platform, right? Or the goal in the music industry as it exists today under capitalism is to just continually amass a large and larger platform. Definitely. Would you say part of your way of mixing together more artistic and cultural work with your politics is being hyper aware and critical and intentional about that platform because i feel that there's there's very very few people who realize that that is actually a part of the industry itself yeah um yeah the platform the platform it's it's a it's the blessing and the curse of the platform <laughs> i've tried I, I sort of have like a, a slightly different career than most of the people in my industry because I've intentionally n- not promoted myself. Like I don't, I only recently even started posting pictures of myself and that's just because of book club. And I noticed like, as far as the algorithms go, you know, my fans are more likely to retweet a picture of a book if my face is next to it. Um, but I've tried so hard to not brand myself and not have a platform and I was, you know, relatively successful at that. I was able to maintain a pretty underground career until, you know, J. Cole decided to <laughs> make a song about me. Yeah, as far as like your question, I think 
if I have this large mass of people following me, I I do feel obligated and responsible to share information that is changing my life. I I only really talk about things that I'm interested in and that I feel like are important to my life and I think could, you know, be of of use to someone else. So it's important for me to do that. And I feel like it's more important for me to be promoting the right information. Like, so, you know, I'm following radicals, I'm following academics, I'm, I'm, you know, intensively like reading and trying to decolonize my own ways of thinking. So if I am sharing this information, it's at least correct (laughs) or as, or as close to, you know, obviously like I'm not an academic, so this isn't really my bag, but yeah, it's, you know, it's important. It's hella niggas following me. And I'm, I know that there's people who look towards celebrities for like answers and shit. And until celebrity culture is abolished and, and dismantled, I sort of have to like use it as a tool the same way, like until capitalism is abolished, I do use the money that I get from rap in this fucked up system to send to mutual aid funds and da da da. So yeah, I don't know how ethical it is you know, to, to be one who believes in like abolishing celebrity culture, but then also I'm very much like, you know, posting shit all the time. (laughs) I know it's contradictory, but yeah. Well, we all in the contradictions. So, and also just, I just want to throw in there. It's what you're saying is people, even who are academics, it's not they fucking bag. So (laughs) you probably know more than some people (laughs) in my industry. So you doing? We're doing just fine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, I work. I work in media currently, and we have the most unqualified people possible. And I stress possible, like on Earth, who speak about the topics of war, prisons, police, mm-hmm. presidents, elections, all that. So never ever feel like you don't have anything to say or like you don't have value to add because there's whole entire dumbasses who get on international television, national television and put on a suit and tie and they're called an expert. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, and I'm curious, I guess how you, and this isn't just for now and what you've been doing, but also going forward and sort of your envisioning and imagining of the future. How do you see yourself bringing together and synthesizing that cultural work with political work? Or do, you, or do you even see them as separate at all? You could see them as one and the same. I, I see them. I see them as one and the same. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, think about art as a revolutionary tool. And, and that's how I want to, uh, you know, moving forward. That's how I want my, my art to exist in the world. I think prior to me becoming, you know, like radicalized, politicized, whatever, whatever you want to call it, my music, it, it always was pro-Black, but it, and in some ways it was also militant, but it wasn't rooted in any real like theoretical understanding of these systems. And so now that I'm like, you know, sc- scratching the surface, I still, again, don't know so much, but like, I, I definitely know enough to where my music can actually be political. And I guess, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say revolutionary, but I'm trying to like, not think of that word as such a like an exclusive term for only specific types of people. Like I'm trying to be more open with that word, but yeah, I I do think the political and the, and the art need to come together specifically in hip hop, you know, like rap is one of the most consumed pieces of like 
you know, black cultural production and shit that we have. So if this is available to me and I already have started this career, I might as well use it. I don't know how receptive people will be to it. Like the industry doesn't, I'm kind of outside of the industry. Like I don't really see myself as like being a part of like tethered to that shit because I'm independent, but also the type of music that I make is not what is promoted really even. So sometimes I do think about that. Like, even if I were to try, I don't know how effective it would be, but, you know, looking to like folks like Fela and other revolutionaries who have used their music and their art to, to promote societal change. Like I do want to follow in that tradition, but again, it's like, will it be consumed? Will people care? I don't know. (laughs) I really, I couldn't, I couldn't say right now. It seems like capitalism is what folks really want out of hip hop. So like they want, they want those types of images. They want those types of lyrics from everybody. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say. I wonder like what has been, so part of, part of you, you know, coming to consciousness as they say in public out loud is that we've also seen the ways in which you struggle or the ways that people, you know, come for you or, you know, make it, if you don't say exactly the right thing, they will try to do whatever or um, yeah. yeah, have something to say. And so there's been times when you've left the platform, the platform being Twitter temporarily, and then came back. But through all of this, right? So like, what has been the most rewarding thing about your political development? And also how have, even as you're on the sort of margins, as you say, of the rap, the rap industry, like how have your colleagues, or other rappers responded to your uh, your political development? Well, I, I guess the most positive and beneficial aspect to this whole public learning journey has been just meeting people through the internet who are, are like-minded and who are willing to like to be a resource to me and to other people. Um, like just finding different, like your, yourselves, for example, obviously, you know, you got my number. We be texting. Um, so, so like, you know, stuff like that. Like I've never, I've never had access to intellectuals or academics or radicals. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just the ideology and the theory that gets trapped in, in like the ivory tower. It's also the people and who come up with the ideas. Like I've never had access to like intellectuals really. And I, I don't know if that sounds, I, I hope people don't hear this and think that I'm on some like elitist shit or anything, but you know, if you're unable to even engage with people who are thinking that way and you struggle reading the text, it just becomes super difficult to um, deprogram, you know what I mean? And to think differently when you're only exposed to like one type of like way of thinking. Um, and again, not all intellectuals are are going to be the shit or, or like radical anti-capitalist, but the ones that I've come in contact with through this process have been like really sweet most of them, some of them drag me to hell and back on Twitter, but most of them have been like nice. <laughs> so that's been cool. And then as far as like my, you know, my rap friends and colleagues, we don't really talk about it much, to be honest. They don't really, the only time that they engage with my politics is like, they might like a tweet here or there. They might like Instagram post. But as far as having conversations with me personally about this journey that I'm on, or, you know, questioning even some of the things that I say, if they disagree, like it, they typically don't engage, which 
you know, I get it. That's not what their platforms are for. Their platforms are to promote their their brand, their product that they're selling. And a lot of artists like to keep it that way and don't like to mix the, you know, the personal opinions with their commercial like product and shit that they promote. So, yeah, it's been that has been a little isolating because again, there are a lot of folks online, you know, radicals, intellectuals, whatever who definitely do not fuck with me. So, in the beginning it was difficult to find like, you know, my place, like where do I belong? There's not really many other artists who are on this shit that I'm on or even willing to like just talk to me about it. But I'm I recently joined Black Alliance for Peace. And that's been super beneficial because one thing that people always were like shitting on me about was not having a political home and, you know, you don't do this or that. And I always wanted one, but it's, you know, it's difficult, especially when people distrust celebrities as well they should. It's like, how do you end up in a, in a radical org when like everyone is anti-celebrity and no one is fucking with you when you're really not like... I know it looks like I'm trying to take up space because, you know, anytime I post, it's going to be seen by more people and it's going to be reposted by more people. But I'm really not like I'm really just trying to help most of the times. So, yeah, sorry, I started rambling towards the end, but <laughs> that's um that's been my experience thus far. No, that's that's I think that that's super helpful. And I, I mean, I, too, there's so much of why I think I'm drawn or I would, you know, I'm drawn to you in like your journey is because I just see myself as so parallel, but from the academic perspective, in terms of being just an academic, quote unquote, I don't have no following or nothing like that. It's not that at all, but it's more so like not being part of an organization, but having these politics and like, what does it mean to have these politics and not be an organizer or not be an activist or not be part of, part of an organization? And so, you know, all of that to say, even if you feel like you're making a lot of mistakes or whatever, like I, people, I, even though I'm not an, an artist, right? I'm thinking with you in terms of like what, like what is my historical task? Like what is it that I should be doing? And like what are the possibilities, right? So I just think everything you just said was really illuminating. An artist's duty, as far as I'm concerned, is to reflect the times. I think that is true of, of, of painters, sculptors, poets. Musicians, I, it's what I'm concerned, it's their choice. But I choose to reflect the times and the situations in which I find myself. That to me is my duty. I, and, and at this crucial time in our lives, when everything is so desperate, when every day is a matter of survival, I don't think you can help but be involved. Young people, black and white, know this. That's why they're so involved in politics. We will shape and mold this country or it will not be molded and shaped at all anymore. So I don't think you have a choice. How can you be an artist and not reflect the times? That to me is the definition of an artist. Mike Brown, the Ferguson situation. Do you, what do you think needs to be changed in the way black men are policed in America? Leave that up with the critics and the laws and all that old shit. We having fun, we iced out, we having money. That's how we doing it. So you feel like it's not the artist's place to speak on social issues? No. How can these people be talking about how they so real and they don't care about our communities? How can they be talking about what they all this, you know, the hood, blah, 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 blah. They don't care about our communities. You know what I mean? Listen to the words that people say in their lyrics and tell me if that's some real, sh if that's real to you. 
You know what I mean? Listen to what they're saying. Don't just bob your head to the beat. Peep the game. And listen to what I'm saying. Hold us accountable for it. I find it really fascinating that you said your, you know, your political trajectory has at times felt a little bit isolating, at least amongst your peers. Part of what B.P. Newton spoke a lot about was by committing class suicide or by choosing the movement or the people, this, that, and the other, that he essentially gained a whole new family, right, is a paraphrased version of what he said, because I'm not going to try and quote it word for word off the top of my head. But, you know, I think that we find collectivities and struggle more than anywhere else. And um, so it's just interesting hearing you say that. And I'm wondering if over time, you being in proximity to these other rappers, there's there's just got to be a, an indirect influence, you know, like you rub off in your politics. Because I, I find that people's politics rub off on people, even if you're not talking about politics, even if they're just in your your orbit. And I can't imagine that like the hip hop industry and everyone who's involved in it is any different than that. I mean, I would hope so. It would probably be, you know, more be beneficial if I was actually in rooms with like, you know, Diddy and Beyonce and some of the more major players. <laughs> you know, I would love to rub off on like the true capitalists who who hold like actual power. But, you know, like as far as my friends and shit, possibly, possibly it's hard because it's, you know, I think it was it was easy for me to be anti-capitalist because I've never really cared about materialism really or like being famous or anything like my journey as an artist it, I all of my friends they've been doing this since they were kids or like since you know they were 12 13 years old dreaming about the grammys dreaming about a specific type of life lifestyle and entering a you know a certain class and I never really cared about that shit so it was a lot easier for me to let it go I think anyone could let it go but it it just will take a lot of time. And I don't know, there are some folks who really do have to just be honest with themselves and just admit that they don't want to let it go. You know, like they enjoy the the richness of, of their lifestyle and, and what it means to be a celebrity and to be seen and to have this certain status. But I mean, I hope I, I hope I do rub off on somebody. I, that would be that would be beautiful. I know if not if not the the other people in in you know my field or whatever, I know that I'm rubbing off on like a lot of my followers, like people who have decided to subscribe to book club and who are like reading along with me and and who are really challenging the way that they've been thinking their entire lives. Like I can see that in real time. And I think that's even more beneficial because I, I really don't believe that we need myself or any other quote unquote celebrity. Like I, I do believe that the power truly is like in, in the people's hands and shit. So if I can promote political education and, and, and just have folks at least engaging in the work, I think that's damn near more powerful than like one of my rap homies being like, I'm an anti-capitalist now, you know, cause that only goes so far. Even with me, like I'm, I do that. And what have I really done? You know what I mean? I'm not. I know it's relative. I see you shaking. <laughs> it's all relative, but I don't know. That's how I be thinking. Like you know, I don't know. I haven't really tapped in yet. Like there's so much more to be done, and there's just much more that 
organizers are literally doing. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that coming at this from the perspective of an organizer, there's literally always going to feel like you're not doing enough. There's always going to be more to be done. There's always going to be like that. And I think for radical academics as well, Sharice, you probably to an extent feel this as well. There's literally always this voice in the back of your head saying you're not doing enough. There's more to do. You're not this enough. Like you're not radical enough. You you didn't write about this as much. You didn't tweet about, you know, there's always going to be something. Especially I think of my time, I work a lot with incarcerated people. There's always something to be done. Like the prison system, there's not a single aspect of it that doesn't need to be discussed, talked about, worked against, burned down, right? So there's okay. always a second of my day where I get that feeling. So I don't want you to feel like I'm shaking my head because I disagree with you. I'm more so like affirming what you said because I, mm -hmm. I can relate to it 100%. Just on the academic, yeah, I was just going to say on the academic side, my life, I lurched from one existential crisis to another, like dead ass, where I'm like, shut the fuck up. I be telling myself, like, shut the fuck up. Like, you're writing this <laughs> radical shit. You're not marching. Where's your sign? Like, you know, you're not getting your ass up by the cop. Shut the fuck up. You know, like, but then my, my people, like, I'm all about building intellectual community and building collective spaces in my own way, right? And so my friends will have to tell me, you know, they have to build me up, like, your work is important, and you're writing things that people who are doing that work will care to read, and, you know, I try to embody those ethics, like as um, you know, as we were talking about earlier. But like, yes, it's you always feel like you ain't shit, you ain't never gonna be shit. So shut the fuck up, you know. So I just think that that's part of that's that's part of the work and the struggle, man. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, it's just you know, it's it's hard when it's like it's something new every day. Every day, it's somebody else who's gotten shot, or it's 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 just always something. And it's, it's global now. And it's always been global, but I think just because of COVID, everything has been so, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, it's almost like a spectacle all the time. And it can just, it can just put you in a headspace of negativity. Like, damn, the world is literally crumbling beneath me. What am I doing? Like, how am I really, really tapping in? Even when, you know, you mentioned like, sometimes I take breaks from, from Twitter and then I, I always get back on. I literally hate that platform more than anything in the fucking world. But I feel like, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta say something. Like you gotta say something at the very least because you're not out there and you're not like you don't have your picket sign and you're not leading a revolution. So what are you doing? The least you can do is tweet. But yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone in, in that feeling. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um something I, I thought about a few years ago, I was thinking of a lot of the sort of activist, organizer, radical elders in my life who, the kind of people who when they speak, you listen and you, you, you don't take it as truth, but you definitely are gonna know that they mean what they're saying, right? People like, I think a lot about Dr. Patricia Rodney, for example, as being a prime example of this, but they're not on Twitter. They're not on Facebook. They're not on Instagram. And if they are, it's, it's not because they feel like they have to be and the majority of their work doesn't take place online. So mm -hmm. as soon as I, I realized that and started thinking like that and knowing that there's literally thousands of activists whose names I don't know, cause they're not posting, they're not, they're doing work in their communities. I felt so freed. I was like, girl, it's, it's time to actually do some work and not care about none of this other stuff. But moving on kind of switching courses a little bit, 
you kind of touched on it earlier when you were talking about the current state of hip hop and how capitalism is in style in hip hop right right now. And I think hip hop has been transformed many times. It's went through many transformations, both at the hands of the artist and at the hands of the capitalist industry. And I'm just curious what you make of its current state. You touched on it earlier, but I'm wondering if you could give a little more about that. To me, it seems like it's the worst that it's damn near ever been as far as um, the propaganda, as far as the like the need, the like incessant drive to just promote capitalism. I don't know. It almost and, and it's and it's weird because it's like it seems like it's getting to a place where folks aren't even like we can't even be as critical about it anymore because you know certain things are emerging within it that do seem kind of radical and good. I'm mainly speaking about like you know, the emergence of all these different female rappers and then taken to the forefront. And it's like this beautiful thing. We're finally getting our our just day and the sun and shit. But it's like, if that is still just promoting the same sort of like patriarchal and capitalist logics as everything else, like, it's like is it good? And no one, like, we can't even, <laughs> we can't even have that conversation. Like even me saying it now, I'm nervous to say it because I know this is the type of shit that people try to like, drag me and cancel me for but i don't know that's you know that's what i've been thinking about a lot is like you know it's the men and it's the women it's like it's it's coming from every angle and i you know i see folks even people who who are anti-capitalists like boosting all types of just images of whatever 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 and i i don't know i mean folks should be able to consume it is a product like we should have the fantasy of like the Megan, the Stallions, and and you know the little Yaddies, whoever the fuck. But I don't know. It just seems so counterproductive to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. If we can't even talk about that, if we can't even talk about how you know we're all playing into it, even the women as well. I don't see us ever having a true conversation about capitalism within it. You know, just in itself, like we're not even willing to just point out the contradictions. And yeah, I don't know. I think, I don't know. I, it's it's really us. I don't even think it's a lot of the times it's, you know, I think people imagine it to be this big, bad, A&R, white boogeyman type of, and it's like, it's black people. Like it's really us. And I think about it the way we look at, uh, what do they call it? The misleadership class of like black politicians. I see it all the same. And I think, they're damn near, you know, I don't want to be like they're an enemy to the to like black Americans type shit, but kind of like if you're only promoting something that is detrimental to the lives of black people, like here and globally, like black folks across the diaspora, because hip hop is consumed internationally. So it's like it's an incredible tool for propaganda. And yeah, it's just I don't know. I don't know that it's ever going to come out of this stage because that's what folks want. Like even the folks who are like radicals, that's kind of what they, but you know what I mean? Like they don't even talk about it critically beyond just the consumption of it. I don't know. Well, and I should just say, you know, for listeners who don't know me well enough, but anyone who knows me knows I'm like a female rap supremacist. Like I, (laughs) my top, like whenever I list my top 10, it's always like Lauren, Foxy, Nick, like it's, I trust me. I am like I am. I am so happy to see this renaissance that's happening with with women in hip hop. But the critical approach 
that you take to it is like necessary and is needed, right? And I think there always has to be balance. We have to hold hip hop accountable as black people because we're the only ones who can, but at the same time, we have to hold it to the same standards that other genres are held to as well. I don't know that, I mean, I'm sure there's probably some country music podcast that's out here talking about American values not being on display in country music or something that I will never in my life listen to. But what we have here is a, is a conversation that I, I think is critical. And you hit the nail on the head, right? When you said there's people who are the radicals who are still still banging, like Sharice said earlier, the ratchet shit, who are still, you know, getting down to that. So which is okay, which is okay if if we're having both conversations. Like we can't escape absolutely. it. And it's good art. Like I consume it too, but I, I think, you know, I was asking Sharice about this before, like, you know, as far as what it means to be a black feminist, because I was really trying to <laughs> trying to figure out like what that meant for me. And yeah, I think that's that's, you know, why I, I kind of feel the way I do about it. Yeah, it's just like it just seems it just seems contradictory. And then as far as hip hop, like I know we shouldn't just hold hip hop to the standard of being like, you know, this political genre. And this is, you know, like other genres get to just be kind of frivolous and exist and they don't have to be political but those other genres didn't have the the type of like foundation that hip-hop had like if hip-hop wasn't birthed in ghettos and wasn't politicized from early on then it'd be okay not to expect that from the genre but that's what it is like that's what rap i mean that's what it has been to me and and like my understanding of it historically like so i wish it just was still had that energy and even when we do get the sort of like quote unquote conscious rap. Again, it's like, it's pro-black. I don't think that's radical. Like I wouldn't say that Kendrick's music is particularly radical. Like I think it's it's a it's a you know a bird's eyes view into what it's like to be a black American, what his experiences were, what it what some of our experiences are growing up in the hood and shit. But like is it anti-capitalist? Is it is it anti-imperialist? No. Nah. <laughs> It's like that doesn't exist mm -hmm. anywhere in rap, anywhere. Like, no, there's just a couple of things I wanted to add. One was I was on the same podcast that I was mentioning earlier, um, by any means necessary. Jared Ball was on there, and something that he said that I thought was so profound was like, <clears throat> in terms of the how, what you were saying, no name is that we're encouraged to consume uncritically, right. And so part of what Jared Ball was saying was that like Diddy really with Diddy is the one that popularized hating, right? Like this idea of hating, that any critique, that any like pushback is hating, right? And so we're we're just pushed to just consume shit and not and just shut the fuck up and just consume it, right? And he was saying that it, which is I agree with it transcends hip hop, where it's like, and this is where I was gonna converge with the gender thing. It's like, if you say anything critical, you're hating or it's massage noir or it's us, all of these things where it's like, nah, like if you love black people, if you love black shit, like our culture is rooted in something called the dozens. Like we are critical people. We don't just, we're not just supposed to take shit. Like on the one hand, we don't air dirty laundry, but on the other hand, you don't just accept things uncritically. And so I think that in terms of what you're saying, right. so on the one hand, the whole hating, the idea of hating culture, I think has really taken root as Jared Ball was saying, right? In terms of black feminism, to me, 
I think that my everybody who knows me knows that I that's that is not my politics. But to the extent that I love black people, I love black women, and I think that black pe- people should be empowered. I'm against patriarchy, misogyny, and sexism. I'm also against the uncritical celebration of black girl magic or of black women with power just because like fuck Kamala sorry and I'm an aka ski wee like whatever but no fuck no like black women can't just be the caretakers (laughs) of empire and of racial capitalism right and of you know that's crazy that's nothing to celebrate and and I think that and it's not to say that all feminism is reducible to that clearly it's not and there's always radical and revolutionary strains but all of it ain't that and a lot of it is sort of like a lot of it obfuscates the way in which mm. black women are gatekeepers and the way in which the, their means of empowerment is through maintaining the system as such. And like, I don't give a fuck what body you're in. No. Mm. Right. And so I think that that's sort of where um, the tension comes in. And so we have we become a culture that is anti critique and anti. Do you remember when people used to debate? One of the best things I've ever saw in my life was when Stokely or Kwame Ture, excuse me, was debating with um, Malifa Asante. And that was just people just used to debate shit. Right. We don't debate no more. We don't. And and we don't even take critique because it's considered to be hating or it's considered to be oppression, like oppression becomes any form of like pushback. And so I'm just not with that. And I feel like it's it's made us ill prepared for the types Mm -hmm. of struggles that we're in now. So that's my rant. (laughs) <laughs> there was no question in there just a rant <laughs> no that's that's real i mean and me and you've talked about this before sharice how like we were we were talking about du bois and booker t and how they were they that was like a, a intellectual debate like that wasn't petty it was i mean there was some pettiness involved in it for sure but <laughs> the over- <laughs> The overall, you know what I'm saying? It was a debate. And this was like a debate that had major implications for the black community. And it still still to this day is referenced probably in universities everywhere on a daily basis. And and I think hip hop at one point definitely held the keys for us to have those kind of debates. And right now those debates happen, but I think the goalposts have sort of been moved mm. where now we're debating over sales and albums and charts and billboard and Grammys and uh, people, people's, people's bodies. And like, we're debating about things that largely and to a large extent don't even involve the working class at all. Two rappers go to war over a billboard chart, right? I'm the biggest Nicki Minaj fan in the world, you know what I'm saying? But I also know that mama is obsessed with everything that has to do with being anti-poverty. And Every time I say that, I lose followers because all my followers who are barbs are like, oh, peace out. And there Devin goes again. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I'm curious, no name, what you make of this. And, and I should say, two, uh, two good books to check out The Hip Hop Wars by Trisha Rose. All my listeners, I shout this book out all the time. I think Hip-hop she did. Wars. She answered a lot of questions related to gender analysis and hip hop, I think two decades ago. Some of it is relevant. Some of it needs to be updated, but I'm a fan of Trisha Rose. And then That's the Joint is an anthology. It's a really great anthology and collection of essays about hip hop. Some that I agree with, some I disagree with, but it's just a massive collection of of hip hop essays. But I'm thinking right now of this divide between the sort of quote unquote conscious rapper and the non-conscious rapper. No one ever says non-conscious, but if you're making a category of conscious, and that's just the logical conclusion of what you're calling everyone else, right? Right. 
And so I think of rapper Boca Floja, who's like a black Mexican rapper. And he always talks about how this divide is bullshit because rappers are making conscious decisions, right? Conscious or non-conscious or whatever you want to call it, radio, mainstream, whether you're like Che Noir and Cupcake or you're Jay-Z and Beyonce, you're making conscious decisions. And so I'm curious what you make of this divide between the conscious rapper or political rapper and non-political rapper and and how it feels to to you as an artist who's probably, I'm assuming, often put under one of those labels. Everyone considers me a trap rapper, so <laughs> there's that. No, I'm just joking. Um, yeah, no, I think it's like it's super arbitrary. It's like there's no point in those types of divisions. I think when people think about conscious rap, they're thinking about rap that's talking about specific issues that pertain to black people or other oppressed people. And I feel like that's what all rap kind of does anyways. Like I think all most rappers are talking about something that relates to black plight in one way or the other. So I don't really see a distinction, but you know, I think, and I think it's kind of like, I feel like it's so dated. I feel like conscious rap was like the nineties. Um, <laughs> Like, I don't even know. I don't know if folks, I mean, I guess maybe people still do feel that way, but it's because those types of rappers aren't even visible really anymore. I don't even hear that term used that much. I feel like maybe, maybe people like J. Cole and Kendrick probably are still oh, considered man. like, you know, conscious rap. You're, you're making me feel like, oh, you're making me feel <laughs> old and outdated now. <laughs> yeah. I think of like Dead Prez, The Coop, uh, Che Noir. So you're like, like those they're like of... really political. They're like, yeah. Because common is common is damn near more conscious. I think of Dead Prez as like they're radical. Like they're really radical. Yeah, common. Common's an interesting one. I don't know. I feel like everybody just is like, they're they're all just working for the state type shit. Like, I don't know. Nothing can be trusted. <laughs> Nothing can be trusted <laughs> from, from any of us, from the conscious, from the non-conscious. If the if the mode is about you know, how much capital you can gain, how much access to power you, you can gain, then is it conscious at that point? Like, are you, are you, can you consider yourself conscious? So yeah, for me, it's all one and the same. I think it's silly. I think the fans do it more so than anyone. I, I've never really hear rappers being like, you know, I'm, I'm a conscious rapper. Like, I feel like the fans kind of make those distinctions um, and, and we sort of just play into it, if anything, as artists. Well, let me ask you this follow-up too, and this might be how I should have originally phrased it. Do you feel like the rappers in the industry who do, to an extent, use their their large platforms, you know, for political purposes, which is usually voting and, and democratic-related initiatives, do you feel like there's any kind of pressure on you, right? Because you're not I mean, I, I I don't care about your stance on voting, like personally, but I think that a lot of people believe that if you're going to claim to be political and this, that, and the other, that you have to be telling people to vote or die and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, do you feel like that energy is just consuming hip hop more than it has in years past? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think, I think, you know, again, we are in like the specific moment with COVID and, you know, the civil unrest and this and that, like, there's a lot going on. So I think, you know, celebrities do feel a particular amount of pressure. I think a lot of it is about, 
I mean, it's we are brands. So a lot of the times we are thinking as brands and what is beneficial to our product and our business. And, you know, we make money based off of the amount of people who like us and our, you know, our likability, our relatability. And who wants to look like a piece of shit who's not some type of like politically activated person using their platform, whatever. Like everyone wants to kind of save face is what it looks like to me. Folks definitely pressure me a lot to talk about voting in a specific way, in a way that is palatable to them and that makes them comfortable. I think it's really easy to do that. I think a lot of the, I guess my quote unquote peers or other celebrities, I think they don't really want to do the reading and they don't want to do the work and come up with their own ideas. Like, I think it's just, it's easy to do the dominant thing that the society is telling you to do. Like, if you're going to be political, here's how you do it. Tell people to vote. That's how you can be politically engaged. It's just, it's like, it's easy. It also gets you more exposure. You know, there's a whole industry around voting, people doing these like activations and concerts and IG lives. You know, it's like folks are making money doing this shit. It's not like they're doing it just out of the kindness of their heart. Like it's attached to a whole economy of, of like, the you know the election cycle like it it comes people make money throughout that shit so yeah i feel like that's what that's what a lot of my not i don't even want to say fans but a lot of the people who are now following me like that's what they want from me they want me to talk about it but i just don't care to like it's not i just don't like promoting things that i don't personally partake in and shit but i mean i just think it's interesting like the vote is look it I'm critical of the the vote mongering, but I would never tell nobody not to vote. But I would love to see uh, Diddy or Beyonce standing a motherfucking mile long line doing the butterfly or the motherfucking cha-cha slide or whatever as they wait for two hours or three hours or eight hours to vote. That's what I want to see. So it's like while you're berating and harassing and surveilling primarily working class and poor folks about voting. Where the fuck is your antennas in this line wrapped around Harlem? Hmm? And so that's my thing, right? It's like, it's it's really, it's like a moral play. Because it's like, yo, you know, you know your ass is going to hop in your helicopter or your private plane and drop your fucking ballot on a parachute into the box. Like, your ass ain't waiting in no line. But you expect poor working class people to do that shit like our time don't matter. That is wild. And also, voting whatever administration gets into office is going to preserve their lifestyle, period. We have an ultra conservative party and we have a moderate party and we have two capitalist parties. And so people are, you know, ir- irrespective, like they don't really, the, they don't really have nothing to lose. Right. And it's not to say that black affluent people are not subjected to racism and violence, but it certainly doesn't accrue around their black asses the way it does around the people for whom all of these people are in the, the streets protesting for and the people that they're fucking berating, right? And so that's, I mean, that's just, that's my second rant for the day. That's my second thing. And so it's, it's the moralism of it all. It's like, vote or not vote, but like, get off your high horse. Like, don't be talking down to people when the conditions by which folks have to vote to vote are like onerous. And and they're, we're under duress with this voting shit. Like, it's not neutral. So 
even if even if folks are like they feel so inclined to tell people to go vote, I just wish they would use their platform to also talk about like what that what that will mean like what really really like in real time does a vote for the democratic party or a vote for the republican party mean what are the implications globally you know what i mean like if folks if folks are going to tell people i wish they would also like you know just be honest with their followers about what that is going to do to other people around the world and people here you know but again it's like you said like they we do live under a one party system and that does serve the interests of the elites and shit. So of course they're not going to, <laughs> to have honest conversations with people. Like if it were me, if I were promoting voting, I would be like, okay, these are the reasons why I think you should vote for this candidate. But you know, I'd want you to be a, you know, a smart voter and I'm going to let you know about all of these other aspects that will come behind it. As far as like militarism, as far as, more funding for police, more funding to prisons, like this is what this will mean. Or these are the past, you know, injustices from this politician, like just so you know. And they don't do that shit. Like they just blindly tell people to vote as if that's that's gonna be our salvation, like as yeah. black people in this country. Like uh, yeah. yeah. So okay, that's so I do want to ask day. just switching gears <laughs> a little bit. I just wanted to ask you about like what historical figures. Okay, let's let's do top five dead or, dead and alive. Like, who are your top five historical people that have influenced you? Who have passed away? So, or and then who are your contemporary? And they could be like writers, intellectuals, artists, whomever. Like, who are the like who inspires you? Who motivates you? Who energizes like the work that you're doing and the work that you aspire to do? Oh, so hard. Fuck, that's hard. Okay. This is this is hard. Sharice is over here remixing our question. I'm over here like, shit. What was my top five like? Or just okay, and they don't have to. They don't have to. This is not like Bible or like you know set in stone. But who are the who are five of the top people that you could think of with this impromptu question? <laughs> well, Paul Robeson, I feel like it's coming to mind off off top, just as far as like him being an artist and learning about him and learning about how anti-imperialist he was and and why he was a communist and how he felt about the working class people of this country and of the world has been really inspiring to see that okay you can you can be an artist you can be a public figure and a radical at the same time like it is possible so i kind of try to just think about I, I think he's like, yeah, he's like my, my, probably my biggest inspiration as far as like the intersecting of an artist and a radical, like a, like very public figure, you know? And then George Jackson, blood of my eyes, definitely like, you know, goat level album quality type shit. One of my favorite books probably in like that I've ever read. Let me think. Let me think. You better say some women before they get you. I'm <laughs> thinking of a woman. I'm I'm tripping on her name right now, but she talks a lot about the captive maternal. Do y'all know who I'm talking about? She wrote she wrote like an essay about Angela Davis, which it, it was a little messy. But Joy James. Joy James. <laughs> so yeah, so Joy James. I've, I like went through a bunch of her, um, her talks on YouTube and she's so incredible. Definitely super inspired by her. Miriam Kaba, she is the one who kind of like introduced me to a lot of the abolition 
frameworks and ideas, you know, like a year ago when I was just now coming into learning about all this stuff, she definitely um, was one of the people who sort of inspired me to be like, I don't know, I can't call myself an abolitionist, but you know, in, in theory or whatever. Who else? I mean, everybody don't gotta be with the tits. Like people can inspire you for different reasons. I, I have a lot of problematic faves. So it's like, you could be human. Mm -hmm. You can have problematic okay. things. <laughs> and it's, it's, not, it's not even problematic. It's just more so like recently some of the things that she said around voting, I don't personally agree with, but Angela Davis, like yep. her, her, so many of her books have been so, so monumental in my development, like as a radical. And yeah, she's definitely, she's the, she's the girl. Like she's definitely like one of the goats again, yeah. you know, not yeah. truly a lot of the stuff that she's on recently as far as voting, but that's her personal opinion. And she's still one of my faves regardless. And I'm trying to think of one other person, probably like Fred Hampton, just on some Chicago shit. I think about him a lot. I think about how revolutionary he was at such a young age, just a complete intellectual and fearless as fuck. So like going back and reading some of his speeches and watching videos has been really, really helpful too. And just encouraging. And, you know, the way that he talks about being a revolutionary, like I'm I'm trying to think about it in that way. Like how he he always would have this like this call to the audience for them to say it as well. And it would be, you know, like it's a crowd of people. Some of them probably were like, you know, just regular folks who don't do much. <laughs> Some of them were probably the FBI. <laughs> Yeah, definitely the FBI. Definitely the FBI. So yeah, definitely want to uplift him, especially since they're going to be dropping that movie soon. And we don't, there's no telling <laughs> how they're going to tell that man's story. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's my, for now, th those are my top five dead or alive. I feel like that's a really good list. I, um, I sat here and tried to kind of scribble out five, but I came up with like 10 different names. It was really hard to just pick five. So I really commend you. <laughs> For doing that and it's interesting we talk about the FBI I remember when your when your book club when it first sort of started and was launching you said it was a fuck you to Amazon and to the FBI and a lot of people might not know but COINTELPRO the FBI's violent surveillance program that targeted uh, black revolutionaries and organizations including Latinx American Indian slash native organizations as well they also targeted radical black independent bookstores so, you know, to me, for you to include that fuck you to the FBI for a book uh, club, like a reading group, you know, to me was like a really, it was just a really great connection, I guess, to make there. Yeah, I feel like people don't think about that, like where, you know, the spaces where people gather to have these types of political conversations and black bookstores traditionally have been such a hub for consciousness, conscious raising radical spaces to, to form communities where you can have those sorts of engagement and, and, and those sorts of like really life changing conversations. I, I only know because I like, I grew up with my mom owning a store and shit, a bookstore. And that's kind of what it was like, as far as her story, like she had her store in the nineties and it was definitely, you know, it was very pro-black and very radical. You know, I didn't read then and I wasn't really interested because I was a kid and I was like annoyed by anything that had to do with books. 
Um, <laughs> but I grew up around those types of conversations and adults who were interested in making the world more, I guess, equitable for like poor oppressed people. So yeah, um, COINTELPRO is definitely horrible. People, I know people don't, <laughs> they wouldn't think like, why would they target a bookstore? But it seems like the government is, they will stomp out any space that is about revolutionary ideas. So yeah. That motherfuckers would surveil a fly on <laughs> if they thought that the shit had some radical shit in it. Like they, they're bored. Obviously they ain't got shit to do except harass motherfuckers. They were surveilling black studies movements, BSUs. They were kicking down doors of people in black student unions. These are student organizations. They're surveilling wow. everything. Yeah. So it's like, they don't want and like, I like nobody Sorry. But. Oh no, I said I, I heard that it hasn't been disbanded. Like like COINTELPRO still is is currently operating and, and surveilling organizers and activists now and shit. I don't know if that's true, but Well, I mean, I think that the the way that COINTELPRO even became public knowledge tells the entire story, right? It was mm. activists who actually had to break in and release the information because Black Panthers, Young Lords, all these people who have been saying for at this point, I would say decades, um, but years at least, that they were being surveilled, that they were being infiltrated. This term, the conspiracy theorist, was used against them a lot, as well as other similar jargon that demonized them. And so they were gaslit by the state and agents of the state and the media. And it wasn't until activists actually broke into the offices and released these papers um, and when they went, went to release the papers, a lot of the media, the capitalist media, refused to publish it. They said, we're not publishing this. This is, you know, this is whistleblower information that goes against the state, this, that, and the other. So mm -hmm. if, if we only know what we know about it because activists were willing and daring enough to get us the information, I'm 1,000% sure that shit is probably still going on or it is still going on. I mean, we got ops in blue. Let me stop. I was about to say somebody had a blue vest. I don't even need to give that person. We there's ops. <laughs> there's definitely ops. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Like yes, this is what like Julian Assange, right? Like of course, like the state's hell bent mission to execute this man to imprison him for the rest of his life is precisely because all this fuckery is going on, and he had the audacity to expose it. And mm -hmm. he only scratches the surface. So like, you know, it's absolutely ubiquitous. We had that black identity extremism document that was leaked a couple years ago at this point. But it's like, yeah, this is this is a thing. It's probably it's not called COINTELPRO anymore, but like all of the technologies, all of the sort of logical and the material foundations absolutely persist through the war on terrorism to black identity extremists and now Antifa. So it's like, there's always an enemy. There's always a form of radicalism that is constantly under attack. And it is generally black folks or folks who can be constructed as like analogical to black people who are gonna be targeted. So they listening to this shit right now. What up, Obama? <laughs> <laughs> So can I can I ask y'all a really messy personal question? I'm down for it. Are y'all are y'all voting next next week? I am not. I think people who know me know that I I don't vote. I don't 
I don't see it as my personal necessity to legitimize this capitalist settler state. I'm not going to say I'm anti-voting because I think Black radicals of the past understood it as one tactic that could be used. To me, it's a bottom of the barrel tactic that gives little to no positive outcome. So I'm not going to tell people don't vote, but I personally and most of the people uh, who I know uh, don't vote. I'm not voting. So no, and fuck Kanye too. No, and I'm not. You know, so I'm voting with I'm voting with my feet, not going to wait in line and not doing the cha cha slide to, <laughs> to cast a vote. So it's a no for me. Local elections though. Local elections. Local elections, fine. I don't. I'm not. I just moved here. I'm not registered to vote here. Um, I'm actually registered to vote in Massachusetts of all places, which is crazy. But <laughs> it's not voter fraud. Trump, don't try it. Um, <laughs> I want my students to vote if that's how they want to express themselves politically. I want everybody around me, if you feel, if they feel like that's what their ancestors died for, fine. Like me, it's a no for me. But again, we're not encouraging, discouraging anybody from voting. We're not shaming you when you have your motherfucking sticker on. I'll retweet your picture if that's what you want. Like, but it's a, it's a no. <laughs> I feel like, you know, as someone who's waved the banner of abolition and communism, pan-Africanism for for several years now, you you would probably have to have a bullet to the back of my head for me to vote for the architect of mass incarceration who mm-hmm. supports, who's never found a set of sanctions that he didn't support and fully enjoy, who never found a war he didn't want to go into, who never found a socialist state he didn't want to destroy who never saw a black man, woman, child, anything in between who he didn't want to incarcerate. So, you know, I'm, that's my rant for the day because I genuinely do not give a fuck if people listen to this and feel upset. You can come and see me in the streets. You can come and see me in my political education workshops. You can come and volunteer with the Walter Rodney Foundation. But at the end of the day, I definitely feel no type of way about anything anyone has to say about voting. So any listener who wants to, to tweet at me after hearing this little voting conversation, just save it. Just save it. Write it down on a letter and mail it to your mama. <laughs> people have been, people have now been, because of everything that's happening in Bolivia and Chile, like, have been telling me, you know, well, here, this is an example of, of voting working. Like, you know, they were able to usher in this, uh, you know, this new you know, government or whatever through voting. Like now things are more socialist because they, I think, was it the, they're, they're voting to change the constitution or, or something like that? Yeah, in Chile, they, they scrapped their old ass constitution. Yeah. Right, right. Their dictatorship. A yep. dictatorship that was installed by the U.S. who, who put yep. that constitution in place, they're rewriting it. So I don't think that the U.S. Constitution is on the ballot this uh, no. election. When people try and compare what just happened in Bolivia, which, by the way, didn't really happen just because of a vote. It happened because of mass struggle mm-hmm. um, with international solidarity from Black and Indigenous people around the world. But uh, and I'm I sorry, don't think I don't think a single one of them stood in line for eight <laughs> hours. I don't think their government was going around putting mailboxes on trucks to prevent them from voting. I don't think that they had a celebrity class that is trying to speak on their behalf and meet with whomever with some contract or whoever the fuck when nobody asked me. So it's like, don't try to compare the voting conditions in other countries to here. 
and make a one-to-one comparison because that's straight up bad faith and this is that's that like okie doke bullshit that we're critical of like it's mm-hmm. not the same so whoever has that comparison it's like read a motherfucking history book read some contemporaries read some contemporary shit and shut the fuck up period yo you have to respond to all of, to all of my twitter haters from now on <laughs> <laughs> We'll get, I'll give you I'll give you like a playbook that says what to respond and usually nine times out of ten it's just no response. <laughs> it's the best <laughs> response. But of course, again, like going like going back to what we were talking earlier, like Dev and I could talk this shit and be about this because like we're not part there's not that sort of we don't have to feign responsibility because we're not part of the celebrity class. So it really is a conundrum, right? On the one hand, it's like we feel like celebrities should be doing something. On the other hand, Maybe they should do nothing because they be on that bullshit. So it's like, right, like just do nothing, run this dough and shut the fuck up. So it's like it's a real, it's a real problem, you know. So there's a way in which people expect things of you, no name, because you are a celebrity in ways that you know we can just do whatever we want. We're we're peasants. <laughs> <laughs> Not peasants. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, you know. Folks, folks are going to be upset, but that's what I'm saying. Like really looking back at Paul Robeson, like niggas hated this man. Like there were a lot of people who just wanted to relegate him to the shadows and tell him, you know, please shut that communist shit the fuck up. Like, please stop talking. And he didn't, you know, and he was in a way more precarious and scary position than I, than I'm even in. Like I, I'm so privileged in that, like it is 2020 and it's not, although people you know, drag me all the time. I'm I'm safe in a way that he wasn't. And he just was like doing way more. Like that nigga was actually a revolutionary, like in real time. So yeah, I I appreciate that. I wish I wish I didn't have this platform. Like you have no idea how much I wish I could just be regular Fatima again. But say la vie, here we are. I'm just trying to I'm trying to read as much as possible. Um and and you know talk about imperialism as much as possible because I think that's what I hear the least. Yeah, and I think that just recognizing recognizing that context that you exist in, recognizing the limitations of your own celebrity, but also what seems like from speaking with you, you know, you view it as sort of like a platform from which you can you can spring from and that you can use to, as Mumia Abu Jamal would say, spring new life forward, right? And you can use your platform as a resource, essentially. And I think that's what I've seen you do for the past several months. So I, I commend you for that. I'm thinking a lot about people like Langston Hughes, Paul Robeson, Harry Haywood, Lorraine Hansberry, Nina Simone, all with their own levels of um, of, of torturedness and and artistic this, that, and the other. But all at the end of the day, they took very decisive stands that they all in their own ways paid for. Mm-hmm. And not that I'm, I mean, no disrespect, not that I'm comparing you to like Harry Awood or anything like that. I'm just saying it, it's in the it's in the same vein, right? Like you are an artist with stature who who is attempting to do something else with it. And I really, really, really commend that. Oh man, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's, you know, I think that you're also something another, you know, while we're just, you know, laying it on thick for you. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I think that you're also taking your celebrity as a responsibility and not just a privilege, right? 
And I, I think that that's important. I wish more academics would do that. Like this is not just a job or a privilege. Like we have a responsibility because of our access. And of course we're, we're not on the level of celebrities at all, but I think there's a way in which we don't take it seriously enough. And to the extent that you do have a platform and you are, you are sort of able to circulate your perspective in a particular way, it means something to take that seriously and to have black and oppressed and working and colonized and imperialized and dispossessed people in mind. Even if you can't, if you, there are contradictions, of course, but like, you know, that that's not nothing. And so we we appreciate that. And to, and to an extent, you make our work easier because it's not, it doesn't seem like the far radical left, right? As more and more people begin to realize like oh like this is this is a possibility this is a thing it makes those of us who have those politics not feel like you know we're going crazy because everybody else is like nah we on this capital shit you know so we appreciate it and it's it's noticed and i appreciate uh i'm just i'm just regurgitating information that i'm getting from y'all so um apologies if it's coming out like slightly a little messy. <laughs> nah, it's all good. So in, in closing, I know we've been talking a little bit longer than an hour than we planned, but it's like we had a great conversation and covered a lot of bases. Is there any, you know, closing comments, remarks, questions, anything you want to close out with? Mm, no, I just I just want us to abolish the police <laughs> and, and to abolish prisons like ASAP. Like obviously like I, I want to see the destruction of this entire nation state. Like, I would love to see America as a settler colonial state collapse and shit, burn it, destroy it, all of that. But yeah, like if, you know, if I had one wish, let's just abolish the police. Like, if we could just do that, that would be dope. So yeah, that's my closing remark. Fuck the feds, abolish the feds. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Very pro-abolition here. This has been another episode of the Groundings Podcast. Thank you so much, Sharice, for being my co-host today. Thank you for having me.